The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And Jesus said to the crowd, Take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then Jesus told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly, and he thought to himself, what should I do, for I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. The Gospel of the Lord. It certainly has been quite the week. With Pope Francis's penitential pilgrimage here in the last six days in our country of Canada, I think brings us at least to a beginning of a process that will till still take a long time of truth, healing, and reconciliation with Canada's Indigenous peoples and their relationship and our relationship with them as members of the Church but at least it's a beginning. And there's many powerful messages, images, that are gonna take us a long time to digest and kind of understand from this papal visit. One thing that I've seen with Pope Francis when he visits different countries, especially for a particular reason, maybe to offer forgiveness or an apology like this visit was, or to understand a reality, is that before he makes any statements, before he answers a lot of the questions from the media and those that remain unanswered, is he wants to meet the people first. He wants to visit the place. He wants to kind of experience all of that reality, listening to survivors, seeing the land, going through the motions here in this visit, and then I would think, although I cannot be 100% certain of this, but I think we'll see some of those questions the media have been posing answered in the next months to come. Because he, uh, he always addresses some of these in different ways. One of these topics is the doctrine of discovery, which I'd like to just explain for you here this day so we have a better understanding of it as well. It's been in the news and it was part of the papal visit of a cry and from the indigenous peoples and also from the media for the church to rescind her doctrine of discovery. Now this goes back to the year 1494. 
So two years after Christopher Columbus sailed the ocean blue, as we know, in 1492, and quote-unquote discovered these lands of North and South America and Central America, wasn't really discovered, they were there all the time, and there were people on those lands. And in 1494, Pope Alexander IV issued a letter to try and keep peace between the King of Spain and the King of Portugal who were fighting and rivaling over these new lands. Who would own them? Who would possess them? Who would get the resources? And the church had a very different role back then as often like a mediator between different nation states in Europe. And with an attempt to kind of keep peace and make sure that the lands weren't ravaged completely, the Pope gave certain permissions for possessions of land and also conversions of the indigenous peoples to the King of Spain in certain regions and other regions to the King of Portugal. Now, it's important to know that not everything the Pope does is official church teaching, especially when it's written in the form of a papal bull. Now, a papal bull is, has nothing to do with the Pope's livestock or anything. It comes from the Latin word bulla, which is the wax seal that kings and queens and popes would mark a letter coming from their name with their ring. And these letters never taught the faith. Papal bulls are not church teaching. They're not theology. They're not based on scripture. They're letters to give the church a certain approach or answer for certain questions about church and government relations, healthcare and hospitals, Catholic education. So those things that, where there's many ways of going about it, and things can change on how we educate, how we run hospitals, how governments and church relate with one another, those things can change over time. Jesus didn't give us official teaching on this is how it has to be. And so whenever one papal bull is written after another, the preceding one is abrogated or rescinded or superseded by the next letter. And within two years of Pope Alexander IV issuing that first papal bull to the kings of Portugal and Spain and already seeing the damage done to the indigenous people and to the lands in the Americas, he wrote another letter rescinding that. But these things get lost in history. And already in 1537, it was seen how kings and other political leaders were still using that first letter from Pope Alexander IV in 1494, even though he superseded it and rescinded those things and other letters subsequently. Many leaders were pointing to that first letter and using it as a basis to take indigenous rights and lands from them and sometimes declare that Indigenous peoples weren't people like us. And so in 1537, almost 500 years ago, Pope Paul III wrote an official church teaching letter called an encyclical, Sublimis Deus, is its name in Latin. All the letters were written in the language at that time. And there he clarified, hopefully once and for all, any misunderstandings that there is no such thing as a doctrine of discovery in our Catholic faith that nobody has the right to say their culture is superior than another, and that indigenous peoples are human beings with dignity and created in God's image and likeness, just like you and I. 
But unfortunately, as we know, and even myself, when this came out in the news, I said, I remember learning about this, but I was foggy on the details too. And that's after two full years of church history and seminary studies. So we can forget these things. And so what I'm assuming may happen, probably will, is that there'll be an updated document from the Vatican just reminding us that this is not our church teaching. We do not believe in the doctrine of discovery. And in fact, that word was never coined in any of the Pope's documents. The doctrine of discovery was coined by an American politician in 1832, trying to deal with American relationships with Native Americans south of the border. So we see over time how some things can be forgotten and some of the truths muddled and how that hurts our relationship with our First Nations peoples in Canada. But how important it is always for us as a church to remember that we need to renew these teachings. We need to represent them anew so that the truth can get out there and that people may indeed understand what our positions are on these things. And I would not be surprised if something comes out from the Vatican shortly as a reminder and updating all of these topics. In the meantime, if you're interested, there's a, a great document from the Canadian bishops from 2016 that goes much more into detail than I can give you in a homily of the different dates of these papal bulls and then Pope Paul III's official teaching in 1537, clarifying some of the confusion back five centuries ago even. But what does this mean for us? Well, there's so much that we can take in from Pope Francis's visit. And I encourage you, when you visit the Canadian Bishops' website, that Doctrine of Discovery document that they wrote in 2016 is helpful, but also there are all the messages and homilies of Pope Francis from the past week. One that really struck me was the evening he had in Quebec City after the morning mass at St. Anne de Beaupre. He had a meeting with priests, religious brothers and sisters, seminarians, and pastoral ministers and pastoral workers, basically church staff from the area. And he was reflecting on how these things could have happened in the church. How could we have gone so far astray from the gospel message of Jesus and commit abuses at so many different levels, physical, sexual, emotional, verbal? How could we stray from our church teaching knowing that every human being is created in God's image and likeness and upholding that dignity? And one perspective that he gave, which I think is helpful for us, is that he says, always beware of practical atheism in the life of a believer. Now, what does that mean? How could we be an atheist and a believer at the same time? Wouldn't that be a contradiction? Well, he's distinguishing here between two forms of atheism. One is called theoretical atheism, which is when somebody, after some time of study or reflection, just comes to the decision that they cannot believe that God exists, maybe because of an experience in their life, maybe because they need more proof or evidence or reasons, but for whatever reason, they come to that decision at that point in their life that God doesn't exist for them. That's theoretical atheism. But there's another kind of atheism that's a bit more subtle and that even you and I can fall into. And this is called practical atheism, or as Pope Francis calls it, new forms of atheism. That's when believers or non-believers just simply in their actions, behaviors, and words and deeds don't live up to their beliefs. 
So we live as if God doesn't exist. Even though we believe he exists, our actions and our words tell other people or even ourselves that God is not there or present. And whenever there's a division between our life, so our actions, our morality, our words, and what we believe, whenever those two are separated, scandal, evil, grave sins and crimes end up being committed because we are meant to live out our faith. What we believe is meant to penetrate our mind and hearts, right? Into the whole world, into all that we do. Our gospel here shows somebody living out practical atheism today. This person is probably a man of faith, the time of Jesus, everyone believed in God, but here he gets some bumper harvests, an abundance of crops, and instead of doing like Joseph in the Old Testament, who stored up the grain in case of a famine or a drought to give to the poor of the land and give to anybody who was struggling with hunger, this person here wants to build just bigger barns to store up the grain for himself and for the money that might accrue from this. And we see here a glimpse into his prayer life. Here's his prayer. Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Something you'll notice about this prayer is that he's praying to himself. <laughs> Soul, meaning himself. Whenever our prayer starts redirecting itself towards us, stop right there and turn it back to the Lord. And the second part of his prayer is that he himself answers his own prayer. He knows what he'll do now. He'll build bigger barns, he'll eat, drink, relax, and be merry. So whenever we start answering our own prayers the way we want, that's a danger zone too, right? Take some silence then to allow God to speak to us. So this man's faith is divided between his actions. He's not living beyond himself, and he's not living with eternity in mind, with heaven in mind, with eternal life. And little does he know, his life is going to end that evening, and all of that work, all of the bigger barns, all of the grain will be lost. It will not come to any fruition for him. This temptation, as simple as it is, to not have a connection between our beliefs and how it's lived out, as it happened in members of the church and in the church for the residential schools and other things of abuse in the church's history, it can happen in our own lives as well. And so our gospel today is helping us really see clearly that peril or that danger. It was once said that Henry Ford, when he was beginning the Ford Motor Company in Detroit and the production line, so we're going back to Model T times here in the Roaring Twenties, he would interview every worker he would put on the line because he wanted to make sure they formed a family and he had workers with the proper motivation. And sometimes the workers were just coming for money, to get the money that Henry was making. And so sometimes when Henry was interviewing the workers, he would ask, why do you want to work here for Ford? And they would respond, to make a million dollars like you. At that time, he would open his desk drawer and he'd pull out a pair of glasses for them to wear. And in the middle of the two circular lens in the glasses were silver dollars instead of a lens. And he'd say, put these on. The workers would put the glasses on and he'd say to them, Henry would say to them, 
what do you see now? And the workers would obviously say, nothing, the dollars are in the way. He'd say, ah. He says, beware if you're coming here just for the money, because you're gonna miss out on many, many other great opportunities working here for the Ford Motor Company. And I think Jesus is calling us as Canadian Catholic Christians as we begin again. It's like a new chapter in our life of faith here in this country. At least that's what I'm praying for, for this reconciliation and healing to happen, that we can discard any other glasses of power, of domination, of a desire for wealth, or of control, or whatever it might be, and put on the lenses Jesus gave us at our baptism to see the goodness of God around us, to see the goodness in every person, regardless of where they may be coming from and their beliefs, and to always propose the gospel, respecting the freedom of all, so that nobody ever feels forced to believe or coerced into belief, but that the beautiful message of Jesus attracts the heart of many, as we can see him at work with the new glasses we pray he gives us this day.